Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Pastor Jalisa, and this morning we're continuing on in our Go and Make Disciples sermon series. This morning I'll be reading from Isaiah 53, 4-12, and we'll be drawing on Thought Unit number 20 from the Gospel Tool. But before we get into it, let's pray. God in heaven, we... um. We lift you high today as the God who is making all things new. I was reminded of that as I look out at the flowers and spring coming about. And God, you're so good. And yet, Lord, this morning we just sang a song about how we are so prone to lose our way. We've hopelessly lost our way. And God, we are so prone to wander away from you and from your goodness. And so, Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, we ask that you would... um you would make it fresh to us and that you would use it to draw us closer to you and that you would use it to show us more of your heart and who you are. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, equip and anoint and empower the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word and the way that we um, submit under it and seek to obey it. Lord, you, you use your word to transform us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use the word of the Lord to transform us this morning. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the Gospel Tool Thought Unit 20, Jesus provides means for restored relationship and role. Jesus models this love for and obedience to God the Father through his own life by allowing himself to be unjustly crucified. Through his death, Jesus makes payment for sin and reconciles all who believe in him with God the Father. Jesus also liberates his followers from Satan and all the powers of darkness. And then from Isaiah 53, and we'll be reading verses 4 to 12. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. 
yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been deeply aware of your own inability to not sin? Now that may seem like a strange question to start with, but let me explain. Recently, in one of the discipleship group lessons, there was a question posed, and I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it asked something to the effect of, have you ever tried to be good or sinless for a whole day? Now, that question has really stuck with me, and I keep thinking about it from time to time. Is it actually possible for me to really truly be sinless for a whole day or even like an extended period of time? And I was thinking about that question this Friday morning, and it might sound kind of silly, but I was actually focusing on and attempting to be as sinless as possible as I rolled through my morning on Friday. Now that morning, my car needed to be brought into our mechanic pretty early in the morning, and so we got up and I followed Brendan and his truck to the mechanic, and I was driving my car. And so I'm thinking about being sinless. And so obviously on the way, I made sure to put on Christian radio, you know, something nice and clean. And I was thinking about the day ahead and praying about the different pieces of it. And I was singing along with the worship music and thinking about the lyrics. Like I was doing such a great job. And after the mechanic, we went through a drive through for coffee on the way home. And that drive through took a long time. But the sun was out and it was a beautiful morning and so I was patient and I thought, man, look, I'm doing such a great job. When we got home, both of our coffees were sitting in the, in the cup holders of the truck and they had those cardboard sleeves, you know, around, around the cup to keep you from burning your hands when you pick them up. And I attempted to pick my coffee up out of the cup holder and the cup popped right out of that cardboard sleeve and it shot a splash of hot coffee all over my arm and it burned. I growled a little bit and I set the cup back in its sleeve and I tried again. This time I managed to get my cup and sleeve together out of the cup holder successfully. And so I reached for Brendan's cup. And his cup did the same thing. It shot right out of its cardboard sleeve and threw up hot coffee all over my arm. Now this whole time, Brendan is standing right behind the door patiently waiting to help me. But after that second coffee launch and before I could even think about it, I snapped at Brendan for not grabbing the coffees. Even though his hands were already full, 
He wasn't supposed to pick up the coffees they were mine to carry, and it wasn't his fault that the process had been difficult. And yet, I snapped at him. You guys, I think I made it a grand total of maybe 15 minutes that morning before Shin, before Sin, just shot straight right out of my mouth, quicker than the hot coffee. And honestly, as I thought about it, I'd probably committed the sins of self-righteousness and pride during those 15 minutes of supposed holiness as I pat myself on the back for not committing any obvious sins. The point is, no matter how hard I try, I am still so incredibly bent towards sin. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. God's people were acutely aware of their bent towards sin in our text for this morning. The words that we read were words given by the prophet Isaiah to a people who just cannot seem to help themselves. God had long ago established his covenant and his people. You remember the story. He'd taken them out of Egypt and he set them up for success in this glorious promised land. He'd put very clear guidelines and expectations before his people. And for hundreds of years, Israel had been given shot after shot and chance after chance to live in obedience to God's commands. They'd been given ample opportunity to enjoy God's favor and blessing. But for hundreds of years, king after king, Israel just could not stop rebelling. And with their rebellion came the chaos of a kingdom split into a destroyed temple, a land covered in rubble, and two separate periods of exile where God's people had been hauled off as captives. It had been a rough couple of centuries, but Israel was finally back in the land. This scrappy, motley crew of a nation is trying to rebuild the rubble. They're trying to plow their ruined fields and coax their vineyards into once again producing fruit. They're broken and they're exhausted. And so you can imagine how frustrated these people are when the prophet comes walking up the road toward the temple ruins to once again proclaim to them the reality and gravity of their sin. Several chapters before our text for this morning, Isaiah had made a bold announcement to the people. Listen, he'd said, you still don't get it. You are so stubborn and you are still sinning against God. Ah, what a terrible feeling. After all these years, after all this suffering, they are still not getting it right. And Israel knew the terms of the agreement well. They were to be holy, and if they weren't holy, there would be consequences. But they just could not maintain holiness, and so they knew the painful reality. On their own, they were perpetually doomed to destruction. It's awful to feel doomed or stuck. Brendan and I have recently been watching a television series called The Chosen. It's a creative series about the life of Jesus, and it doesn't follow the biblical narrative or story completely or totally literally, 
but it does a beautiful job of capturing the heart of scripture and the stories of those who met and knew Jesus. Now, if you've been watching the show, and I know lots of you are, be forewarned that there are probably spoiler alerts in the story I'm about to tell, so I do apologize. But I have to share that in the last episode that Brent and I watched, Jesus assigns James and John, his disciples, to plow up and sow seeds in a large field in Samaria. Now, these brothers have no idea who the field belongs to or why Jesus has asked them to work it. While James and John are working the field, the other disciples and Mary Magdalene are sent into the market and they're told to get all these ingredients that would be needed to cook a large feast. Now, eventually the group gathers back together and they're wondering what they're going to do. And Jesus leads them to a dilapidated house that sits outside of the city. As they approach the house, this hunched over man in tattered clothes limps out of the house to meet them. His head is hung low and his leg is held straight by awkward braces made of these rough, chunky branches. This man has clearly been severely injured. Now, everyone is confused, except for Jesus. Hello, Melek, Jesus calls out. This man is stunned that Jesus knows his name, and he's clearly horrified that all of these people have shown up on his doorstep. He's a poor guy, and he cannot feed or house this random group of people. As the story goes on, Jesus makes clear to Melek that Melek and his family will not be feeding Jesus and his disciples. Instead, Jesus and his disciples will be feeding them. Even more profound, James and John realized that the field that they'd spent all day plowing and seeding belongs to Melek, a man who cannot plow or seed his own field. Melek is confused, and he's overwhelmed by the kindness that he's received. And so he begins to tell his story to his guests. As they sit around a fire after dinner, Melek turns to Jesus and he says, If you only knew the kind of man that I am, you would not be here with me. Melek goes on to explain that because of the poverty of his family, he and a fellow Samaritan friend had robbed and beaten a Jewish traveler along the road. They had left him for dead. Melek had stolen that poor man's horse, and he was riding it to the nearest city to sell it for money when the horse reared up through Melek and ran off. Melek's leg had been badly broken in the process. He'd been forced to crawl on his elbows to the nearest town and to return home to his family, ashamed and in worse shape than when he'd left. Melek finishes his story with such sadness in his eyes. He can barely make eye contact with the disciples as he shares that he wonders about the man that he'd attacked every single day. Melek is a man crushed by the burden of his sins, his shame, the brokenness of his body, his failure, and his complete inability to fix any of it. I've never robbed or beaten anybody. 
I've never stolen a horse. I haven't had a severe injury. I've never seen my family starve. But as I watched Malik tell his story, I couldn't help but recognize a piece of my own heart in his. I think we all have stories that we'd rather not tell. Stories that make us lower our heads and avoid eye contact. I think we're all aware of parts of ourselves or things about us that we just can't seem to change or fix. To different degrees, we've all dealt with or witnessed what Isaiah calls infirmities. These are maladies of humanity. Broken bones, diseases, chronic pain, mental illness, sickness, general brokenness of the body. We've all got areas of stuckness, sins we can't seem to overcome, wounds that just won't heal, financial, emotional, physical, spiritual roadblocks that no matter what we do, they just don't seem to move. In many ways, you and I don't look all that different from Melech and the people of Israel in our text for this morning. After the prophet had reminded Israel of their sins, he begins to describe what is arguably the greatest promise to ever be given. Isaiah begins to weave together bits and pieces of a story about a mysterious servant who would take up their burdens upon himself. The weight And the punishment of these burdens would be so heavy upon that servant that humanity looking on would assume that God was punishing him because of something terrible that he had done himself. But the truth is that this servant would be pierced. He would be crushed. He would be punished, stricken and wounded, not for his own sins, but for the sins of God's people. Because he is sinless, his punishment would finally bring peace. And by his wounds, God's people would finally be healed. It's difficult to understand, but this would all be part of God's grand and good plan. God would make this servant's life an offering for the sins of the world. The servant would work with God. He would silently and willingly give himself up. And somehow the servant would be blessed. He would be vindicated and glorified. And at the end of it all, the people would be free from the weight of the curse of sin. They would finally be reconciled to God and he would be glorified. It's astounding if you think about it from Israel's perspective. Here they are circling rock bottom and Isaiah is promising them that even though they are unable to help themselves, God was about to send someone who could do everything that they could not. God loves to do what man cannot. The end Of the episode of The Chosen, it was clear that Jesus had used James and John to plow and plant a field that Melek could not. 
Jesus and his disciples had produced a meal that Melech and his wife could not afford. But Jesus wasn't finished yet. When he goes to leave Melech that night after dinner, Jesus reaches out and embraces Melech wholly and completely. Shame seems to literally drip off Melech's face as Jesus bids farewell to who he calls his new friend. In the next scene, Jesus wakes up grinning from ear to ear the next morning. He's giggling to himself in his bed when James leans over and says, what is it? I just know of someone having an exceptionally good morning, Jesus responds. Malik had woken up to a completely healed leg. And later that day, he's seen proudly walking into the synagogue to hear Jesus teach. Though he did not deserve any of it, Jesus had offered Melek forgiveness. He'd set him free from the punishment of his sin. Jesus had healed his broken leg and he had made a way for Melek to truly live into the fullness that Jesus came to provide. A suffering servant that Isaiah had promised all those years ago had come and he was already beginning to bear the sins and infirmities of his people. Jesus would go on to fulfill every word of this prophecy. He would be crushed and punished. He would be crucified and die on a cross even though he'd never once sin. He would go willingly. And because of his submission and sacrifice, the wages of sin and death would be completely paid for. Jesus came for his people. And that means he came for us. Even now, today, the punishment of Jesus is what brings us peace. And the promise is still true that by his wounds, we are healed. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Jalisa, we know, we've heard it. We know that because of Jesus, our sins are paid and we get to go to heaven. And that's so true, and it's so profoundly good. But friends, there is more here. Think back to Genesis 3 when Eve and Adam ate the forbidden fruit, that moment when sin entered the world. There were all these curses, these effects of sin that were promised, and they included more sin, toil, pain, sickness, constant conflict with the kingdom of darkness, brokenness across the earth. Jesus died to pay the price for our individual sins that we commit. But more than that, he died to pay for the price of the whole problem of sin. Every area of bentness, every area where we feel shame or hopelessness, every area of grief and sorrow, every element of difficulty on this earth, it's all rolled together. Jesus paid for it all. The death of Jesus means that Satan has lost its grip, his grip on us and his grip on this earth. It means that we're no longer victims to our sin. No, we're not perfect, but in and through Jesus, we can withstand temptation. We can confess, we can repent, and he is in the process of making us new. 
The death of Jesus means that healing is our reward. Physical, emotional, and spiritual healing are all portioned to us because of Jesus. I want to be clear here. Some healing may not happen on this side of heaven. But just as Paul notes throughout his letters that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will eventually be saved, through Jesus, you and I have been healed. We are being healed, and eventually we will be completely healed. We can trust and expect healing now and later because of Jesus. The death of Jesus means that we can bring any malady, any infirmity, any grief, sorrow, sin, bent, brokenness, any of it, all of it, before the King of heaven and earth, who already carried all of it, and who has the power and authority to do something about all of it. Isaiah said that after Jesus had suffered, he would see the light of life and he would be satisfied. The plans of God would prosper in him and his offspring. Jesus would be given a portion among the great. And listen to this. He would divide the spoils, the spoils of this tremendous victory with the strong or the numerous. Friends, the truth of the gospel is this. That Jesus Christ came and died to save us to set us free. And because of it, the spoils and the benefits of Jesus are being portioned out to you and I and to all who love and serve him. The battle is won and the spoils of victory are being poured out. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for doing everything that we could not. We thank you for saving us, God. We thank you for being willing to carry our sins and our burdens, our pains and our sorrows. And God, we thank you for being willing to share the spoils of your sacrifice with us, even though we don't deserve it. God, we thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel. And Lord, we ask that you would plant this truth deep in our spirits, that you would work it out in our spirits and our lives. God, would you give us faith and help us to apply the truth of your gospel to every situation of our lives? Would you help us to grow in tasting and living out the freedom and the hope that you have secured for us? We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen.